0: Now, if we're honest, we'd probably want to do something like that sometime in our life, uh, that we would feel the rage of road rage. Uh, Sometimes we might have been victims of that. Uh, Recently, I was driving to a meeting uh, in Huntersville down 485 uh, for a clergy meeting that I was going to uh, with some other Methodist pastors. Uh, And so I was getting to the point where 485 has an opportunity to merge into Interstate 85. And if you've ever done that, it's kind of crazy. And if you're in those merging lanes, they get you all slowed down. And so I was kind of, kind of like in the center lane. I wanted to get in the left lane so I could just, you know, keep going and not get hung up in all that merging traffic. So uh, there's a bunch of traffic in front of me. I looked in the left lane. There's a lot of traffic there, but I saw a gap coming. So I was waiting for my moment to slip over. And so the gap's coming up, but the, the cars right in front of me began to slow down. So I had to slow down. I hit the gap and I lost momentum. And so uh, it was on a slight incline, and I'm in a Jeep, and it's not a Porsche, so you can't just take off and, and go fast and crazy. So the cars behind me had to slow down. I felt bad about that, so I you know, kind of gunned it and tried to get back up to speed. And so we got past the merging lanes and all that and, and back out on the straight thoroughfare. And then the car right behind me, I noticed, you know, went out beside me in the, in the right lane, sped up, uh, went up past me over in the left lane you know, a few yards up in front and slammed on the brakes. I mean, slammed on the brakes and like, you know, we're going like 70, 75 miles an hour. And so I'm like slamming on my brakes and, you know, what's going on here? You know, know, what's happening? And so I guess that I'd made this driver so angry by getting out in front of them, you know, that I slowed down a little bit, that they were going to do this to me and and slam on brakes. But like, I'm, you know, I was like scared for my life. So, you know, so I pull over in the right lane and I just kind of gun it, try to get past them. And, As I pass the car, I look over and it's this young lady. She's in her 30s and she's giving me the bird and she's F you and you can just see it coming from her lips. And I'm like, dang, that's some rage right there. So I try to, you know, just go on and and, and keep going. Uh, But then, Like she sped up, she got in front of me again, started slowing down. Like we were playing this cat and mouse game on 485 and like, you know, I was scared, I was mad. Like she's in this 2,000 pound car, you know, projecting at 75 miles an hour. That's a dangerous weapon. And so I was grateful finally to see my exit come up. So I, you know, I went over and got in the exit lane. She pulled her right beside me. And again, with the bird and the cussing, right? And, And she had some major issues with some road rage. And so once I calmed down and and I stopped being mad about it, I was praying for her because, you know, she was angry. She was angry at me. But the rage that was displayed in in that whole cat and mouse kind of thing, that wasn't directed at me. That was coming from down deep somewhere within her. Something was broken in her life in a major way. Something had been building up in her life. And she took that out on me. Right? And I just think in our own lives, as we think about our circles of influence, the people that we hang out with, and, uh, that we are friends with, that we're married to, our kids, the people we work with, all that kind of stuff, go to school with. In our circles of influence, who do we know that has some anger issues? Who do we know that gets mad at the least little thing and just, just blows up or, or is constantly just carrying a grudge or, or mad at the world or mad at us or mad at somebody? And and in our circles of influence, maybe even that circle of influence is a circle of one. And it might be me, it might be you that, that we struggle with some anger issues and that we take that out on the people in our lives. And again, when we are lashing out with that rage, it usually means that there's something broken inside of us. And it's not really the person or the thing that we're lashing out that's, that's the problem. There's something else that's going on with us. So I just, as we think about that today, in our circles of influence, how does anger come up in the people that we love and care for or interact with on a daily basis or even in our own lives, how do we deal with anger? So today we have some great news that, you know, God is all understanding about anger and he gives us some great advice in the Bible. So we're going to turn there today and see what the scriptures have to teach us about dealing with everyday life, with our circles of influence and influencing others, being influenced by others and dealing with this very real issue of anger because we all get angry. And so what does it look like to do that uh, in a healthy and a Christian kind of way? So uh, we're going to be in the New Testament today. Uh, A guy named Paul in the first century wrote most of the New Testament. He started a lot of churches in what's now like Greece and Turkey, that sort of part of the world. And so what he would do is he would start a church. He'd go somewhere else, start another church, and then he would write letters to his churches because he couldn't be at every church every day. And so he would just encourage them and and try to teach them things. And so today we're going to read a letter that Paul wrote to the church. Church in Ephesus, uh, which would be in modern day Turkey, the Ephesian church. And so Paul wrote to the Ephesian church in the first century. And a lot of his letter is addressed to the church. There's not a lot of unity in the church. There's a lot of disunity. And so Paul's encouraging people to be unified together in Christ. And so a part of that, he does some real practical teaching about everyday stuff. And part of that is about how to deal with anger. So let's look at Ephesians chapter 4, where Paul talks about this in verses 26 and 27. In your anger, do not sin. Do not let the sun go down while you are angry and do not give the devil a foothold. In your anger, do not sin. Do not let the sun go down while you are still angry and do not give the devil a foothold. So Paul has three specific things that he talks about in dealing with anger. So let's take those one at a time. The first one says, in your anger, do not sin. And what I take from this is that Paul recognizes that we're all going to get angry. And that's just a normal part of being a human being. You know, you're going to get angry. It's okay. It's okay to be mad. It's okay to be angry. The trick is, when we're angry, what we do with it is what matters. In your anger, he says, do not sin. That means do no harm to someone else, right? Don't do anything wrong in your anger. Don't don't harm God. Don't harm others. So when you're angry, right, you're going to be angry. Just be careful how you respond to that. As we read the Bible, sometimes it says that we really need to be angry in life, that there are things in the world that are unjust, there are things in the world that are wrong, there are are things that are just not right. So when we see things in the world that are hurting other people, they go against God, that should make us angry. We should feel some righteous anger. Something's not right here and that should make us mad. Right? And so when we see that children are abused, that should make us angry. When, when people are bullied at school or at work, that should make us angry. When, when people are starving to death in, in our own city, right, that should make us angry. When people are, are homeless and don't have anywhere to lay their head, right? all these kind of things should stir up some emotions in us. Right? And so if, if we go through life and we don't encounter a lot of anger, especially uh, anger that's empathetic, and when we see other people who are hurting, right, we might want to check our pulse. Because God has created anger within us to rise up when we see things that are, that are wrong, that are unjust. And so God calls us to, to see those things, get mad about it, and to do something constructive about that. Even Jesus got angry and he had some righteous anger. There's a passage in the Bible, in the Gospels, in the early part of the New Testament where Jesus gets so mad. He goes into the, the local place of worship in Jerusalem. This is like 2,000 years ago in Israel, and there was only one place you could really go in the whole nation to worship. It was called the temple. It's this big place to worship. Kind of you Think about it like a big cathedral church. And so the Jewish people went there to worship, and they had to go there to worship. And so Jesus went there, and he saw that they were doing some wrong things there. And in that day, to be forgiven for your sins, you, you had to have the priest offer up a sacrifice of an animal, and that was to take the place of your wrongdoing, uh, and so to, to take away your guilt and your shame. And so people had to come; they had to buy the animals, they had to get the priest to sacrifice them. So if you forgot your animals or you didn't bring them with you, you could buy them at the temple, probably marked up, kind of like when we go to a you know a ball game somewhere or go to the movies. They they, they hike the prices. Uh, but the, the other catch was when you went into the temple, you couldn't use the secular uh, currency from the Roman world, and so you had to use religious currency. So you would have to take your secular currency, you'd have to you know, transfer it, get religious currency, and there was a nice fat fee for the people who were lending you that money, right? And so Jesus sees all this stuff happening, and he loses it. And you know, he flips the tables over, of the money changers, he, he, he chases them out of the temple... He said, this is not supposed to be a den of robbers. This is my a house of prayer. This is my father's house. Right? That'd be like if you came here and, you know, the requirement for being a Christian would be that you had to receive communion every Sunday here in this space. And so you couldn't bring it with you, but we would sell you the bread and the grape juice. and." And by the way, it's going to be a little more expensive than what you could get at Whole Foods right up the street here. And we're going to add a little bit to that. And, and you couldn't buy that from us with dollars. It'd have to be South Park Church cash. And so we gladly changed that for you for a nominal fee uh, so that you could come and receive communion. You know, just, that doesn't feel right, does it? So that's what Jesus was rebelling against. And he was mad. He was righteously angered. And so he started flipping some tables. And he wanted people to know that this needs to stop. So do we, in our circles of influence, do we feel that righteous anger, when we see something's wrong, and are we able to to respond to that in a way that does not cause harm or wrongdoing? Now, there's all kinds of anger. There's, that, there's righteous anger. There's also self-righteous anger, and that seems to be the anger that gets us in the most trouble, the, the ones where we really tend to do wrongdoing or sin. And by self-righteous, I mean that we basically... It's not a moral issue. It's not a good or evil issue. Self-righteous anger is simply we didn't get our way, right? Our ego has been bruised. Our pride has been bruised. We're not in control of the situation that we want to control. Uh, And so we get real mad about that like a five-year-old. But instead of acting like an adult, we lash out because we don't get our way. And I'm sure maybe you've been in a situation like that. Uh, that's not righteous anger; it's self-righteous anger, and that's really where we lash back at people like like nice little pastors in their jeeps on Interstate 485, right? So, self-righteous anger where we just get mad because we didn't get our way, and we act like children. And then there is anger against God. You know, some people say, "Wow, Pastor Kyle, is it okay to be mad at God in our lives?" And I, you know, I think that my my response is, I think. God's big enough to handle our anger as long as we don't do harm in, in taking that to God. I'm afraid that a lot of times when we're mad at God, we're mad at God for something that's not God's fault, and we transfer it over onto God, and we really rail into God. I think God's big enough to handle that. I think God's ready to forgive us if, if, you know, if we've misplaced that anger. But but even the Bible, in the book of Psalms in the Old Testament, you know, if you just want to open your Bibles up to the very middle, that's where the book of Psalms is. Some of the people who wrote those psalms, they were honest. And the book of Psalms has expresses like every human emotion in there that people take their emotions to God. And, and some people in the book of Psalms are mad at God. And, th- and they say to God, why is this happening? And where are you? And why aren't you intervening? And, and, and I, I, what I think is cool about that is that God allows us to be honest with our expressions to God. I think there's a point. I think there's a line that we can cross, but... But I think that we we can be honest with God when we have anger and we can take that to God. So in your anger, you will be angry. Do not sin. Right? And. You know, I, I think the best way to approach that is, is to try when we're angry to remain calm as much as possible, to remain non anxious. If, if we got to get some of that emotion out to, to, to leave the situation, go be by ourselves, scream, yell, punch pillows, whatever, but to come back and be non anxious and to be calm in our response to whatever it is that's made us angry. Now, that's easier said than done. I find in my own life that I get into a lot of trouble when I'm angry and I'm tired. Because when I'm tired, I don't have that patience, and it's harder to be non-anxious. It's harder to, to remain that calm demeanor. And so instead of having a long fuse, I have a short fuse. So when I'm tired and I'm angry, that's when I snap and say stuff that I really regret later. So in your life, when is it that you're most uh, at risk of doing something harmful when you feel angry? So in your anger, do not sin. Anger is normal. It, it's, it's important, an emotion that can be healthy healthy. But in our anger, do not sin. Then Paul goes on to say, don't let the sun go down uh, on your anger. We've probably heard this and and said this a lot in in our lives. We might not have even known that it came from the scripture. And I think what Paul is simply saying is that our anger should have a time limit. We shouldn't... Hold grudges. We shouldn't hang on to our anger for a long time. Now, Paul says, you know, you should get through your anger before the day is over. And that would be great and ideal. I don't know if that's possible in every situation. I think some of us deal with anger in a different way. But I think what Paul's saying is there is a time limit on our being able to be angry. And if we hang on to anger too long, we can really do some harm to people. You know, and you think about, you know, we talked about on the one hand, people who don't have any anger might want to check their pulse to see if they're dead. On the other hand, you know, the other side of that, the real danger is, how many of us know in our circles of influence people who are angry all the time? who are just mad about everything. They're mad at the world. They're mad at God. They're mad at the government. They're mad at their friends. They're, they're, they're mad at themselves. They're mad about everything, and you know about it, and they just wallow in the anger and the guilt. Right? And how miserable are these people, And especially in, in our circles of influence? And you know, to me, that's not living life to the full. When we read in John 10, 10, where Jesus said, I came so that you can live life to the full, we're completely missing the point if we are just carrying around all that anger and all of those grudges in our lives. Right In the Old Testament, the very first book of the Bible, thousands of years ago, uh, still relevant stories about real human beings. Right, This guy named Isaac and his wife, Rebecca, have two boys. Esau's the oldest boy. Jacob's the youngest boy. Isaac favors the oldest son, Esau. And Rebecca favors the youngest son, Jacob, and they play favorites with their children. Parents, that never works out. Never a good idea. And, and, and they don't even try to hide it, right? It's just blatant. And so Rebekah gets Jacob talked into going and stealing some very important things from his older brother Esau. He steals his inheritance and he steals his blessing from his father, which meant a lot to people in that culture in that day. And so when Esau finds out what his brother Jacob has done, he is so mad. He is ready to literally kill his brother Jacob. And so Rebecca hears this, she knows Esau is coming and he's going to kill his brother and so she says you have to flee. You've got to go back to where my ancestors live and you need to go there and you need to hide out and you need to stay there. Little do they know that when Jacob flees, that's the last time he's going to see his mama. Right? The last time because Esau's going to be mad so long. He's going to there's going to be a grudge held for 20 years right? So Jacob's living in fair. Esau is harboring this anger. They're apart for 20 years. Rebecca dies. Right? Jacob gets married. He has kids. They never see their grandparents, right? It's just this wreck of a life over anger that has not been let go of, right? Anger that has not been let go of. So when we hang on to that anger, when we, we let the sun go down on that anger and we, we harbor that Right? We are not living life to the full and terrible things are going to happen in our lives because when we harbor that anger right if you're like me it just begins to build up and build up and build up and build up to at some point there's a major explosion over just the smallest infraction right and it just blows up and in my life it usually doesn't blow up against the person that I'm angry with it blows up sideways and I take it out on somebody that has nothing to do with anything and it's usually my wife and my children That's not the kind of person that I want to be. That's not the kind of person God wants us to be. That's not the kind of relationships that God wants us to be in. So there is a time limit on our anger. And Paul has a very short window for that, right? So do not harbor that anger. Find a way to get rid of it, process it, to let it go. Do not let the sun go down on your anger. And then Paul says, don't give the devil a foothold. Okay, this probably is not a verse that we hear as often, but it could be the hinge point of this entire passage that Paul gives to us, right? You think about someone who comes to your door, rings the doorbells, trying to sell you something. You open the door, you figure out it's a salesman. You want to get rid of them as fast as possible and shut that door, right? And, and so, you know, in the old days, like they'd stick their foot in the door so they could talk more to you uh, to do that. Not as many of those today in our world, but they, they still come through neighborhoods, right? So... That's what happens with anger, right? When we hang on to our anger, then evil, the evil forces in the world, the devil, however you want to think about it, I think evil is real, right? It's like the door to our heart, the door to our soul, the door to our life. Like when we get angry, we hang on to that. We open it up enough to where the foot comes in and then the evil tries to come inside of us, right? And we give the devil a foothold. Uh, And that's very, very dangerous. Another Old Testament story, again, uh, from uh, the Old Testament. This time's about King David. We talked about him last last week. He lived about 1,000 years before Jesus did. He was the greatest king that Israel ever knew. Uh, But but David wasn't perfect, Uh, and he he wasn't perfect in his family life, right? And you guys are going to feel so good about your families when you go home today because you think you've heard dysfunction with... Jacob and Esau, you haven't heard dysfunction yet, right? You're going to hear dysfunction that makes your family look like, like leave it to beaver or something, right? You, your families are going to look great compared to this. So King David had a bunch of uh, children, a bunch of grown children. And so uh, one of his sons, Amnon, uh, did the unthinkable. He raped his sister Tamar. Horrible thing. Then he, he cast her out. Uh, lots of cultural implications that went with that, lots of shame, lots of bad consequences for something that she didn't do. David did nothing about it. Nothing. It it bothered him, but he did nothing about it. But it sure made his other son, Absalom, very mad to the point that he was furious. And he just, he let the anger kind of just well up inside of him and build and build and build up inside of him. And, Instead of like seeking legal means to say, hey, this happened, you know, this is not right, we gotta hold my brother accountable, right? He just kept that anger inside of him. He gave the devil a foothold and built it up, built it up, built it up. In the end of two years, he arranged to have his brother killed. And it was very clearly that he had ordered the hit, I guess, if you will, for his brother to be killed. And so David finds out about this. Absalom flees from the kingdom, and he's gone for three years. Again, more anger welling up inside of him. I'm sure there's anger welling up inside of David. Uh, and so at the end of three years, Absalom comes back and he leads a revolt, a civil war against his dad. And he gets some of the army to, you know, to, to pair off on his side to fight against some of the other army guys in Israel. And they have this big battle. And a lot of people die over this who are not even related to the royal family. And then Absalom himself dies. Right? So now you've got King David, two dead sons. His, his, one of his daughters has been raped and disgraced and, right, in this horrible situation. Why? because of anger and unresolved anger and anger that went to explosion kind of levels went sideways because it wasn't dealt with in the right way, in a godly way, and it blew up. Right, right. This is like where uh, Star Wars meets the Bible. You know, how do you get to the dark side? Uh, the dark side, the path to the dark side is through fear and through anger. Right, And it's true in our lives. It's true in the Bible and it's true in our lives. Jesus himself says in the New Testament, in the first book of the Bible, uh, New Testament, Matthew's gospel. Right? Matthew was the disciple of Jesus. Jesus says this. He says, you've heard that it was said right? In the Old Testament, the laws of the Old Testament that, that it's wrong to murder and it's absolutely wrong to murder. But then Jesus says, I say this to you, anyone who, who is angry with their brother or with their sister is liable to the judgment of God. Yes, murder's wrong, but guess what? What's at the heart of murder? Anyone who's angry with their brother or their sister Right, and that doesn't necessarily mean a blood relationship. Right, then you are liable to the judgment of God because at the at the heart or the root of anger or of, of murder is anger. Right? So that unresolved anger that takes a foothold in our lives from evil is going to end very badly. So we have got to get it out of our systems. Right, very relevant teaching from Paul, right, in the first century, right into that church in Ephesus, that means a lot to us, right? So what's the point? What's the big idea? What can I take away from this, pastor? You know, what are you trying to say to me? Uh, This is what I think the so what moment is. Unresolved anger is destructive. Unresolved anger is absolutely destructive destructive. It will blow up in your face, in the faces of the people who are in the circles that you love and care about, right? Righteous anger can be constructive, right? When we have the right kind of anger and we deal with it in the right way, we can step in and we can stop wrong from being done. But the unresolved anger is destructive. The righteous anger can be Constructive. Now, this is what Paul says. Well, well, how do you have constructive, you know, uh, dealings with anger? This is what he says in the, in the rest of Ephesians 4. He says, get rid of all bitterness, rage, and anger, brawling and slander, along with every form of malice. And this is, this is coming to the point here. He says, be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other just as Christ God forgave you, right? The way to deal with anger is to be kind. The way to deal with anger is to be compassionate. The way to deal with anger is is to be forgiving. Now, that's going to be a whole other message in two weeks from today, all right? So I want you to come back, and we're we're going to talk about being kind and compassionate, especially being forgiving with each other. But for now, Paul's antidote to acting out in anger in negative ways is to be kind and to be compassionate. So let's think about that in just like everyday life. What does that look like? So in my own life, when I begin to get angry, and I'll admit to you that anger is like one of my top demons in my life that haunts me and really is something that I struggle with on a personal basis, where in my life, it builds up and builds up and builds up, and I don't have healthy ways sometimes to deal with it, and then it explodes sideways on people that I care about, right? So this is, a, this is an important subject. I'm preaching to myself today as much as I'm preaching you know, with you today, but in my life, I try to identify when I start feeling those feelings of anger, what's the trigger, What's causing this? What is it righteous anger? Is it self-righteous anger? Am I just tired today? Did I not get my way? You know, what is it that's causing causing me to feel this just sense of rage bubbling up inside of me, right? And so so what I would say is identify the trigger, right? Don't pull it. <laughs> okay. Identify that trigger. But don't pull it. Obviously, don't pull the trigger of a gun, but, you know, the trigger of responding with rage or, you know, passive aggressiveness or just pouting and sitting on it. You know, how can we identify what is it that's making me so angry? Right. Identify that trigger and, and don't pull it. And once we figured it out, then then we think, try to rationally get through and think, what can we do? If if there's just that raw emotion where you're just so mad that you have rage and you've got to get it out, then again, go somewhere, yell, scream, run, punch the pillow, whatever it is that you need to do to process that to the point to where we can be non-anxious and to be calm and think about our response. In my life, sometimes I just can't do that alone. So I have to say, God, I need your help. Man, I am mad right now. I'm getting ready to do something stupid. God, come in and give me some perspective on this, right? And so how can I deal with this? And so if it's like a righteous anger kind of a thing, if there's something wrong, if you see bullying going on, then you know how can we constructively deal with that? Then maybe we need to tell a teacher or maybe we need to tell a supervisor at work or maybe we need to stand in front of someone who's being bullied and say, hey, look, this is not right. Right, we we see people who are who are hungry. Let's let's do something about that. Like you know, our church, we love to feed people. We go uptown and we feed hungry people. We've done meal packing programs. We packed over a hundred thousand meals one year to send across to people who were hungry. Right. Uh, If you're upset that that human trafficking is a real problem in Charlotte, that we're number one in in the state of North Carolina, we're in the top ten in the nation of women and children being sold as sexual slaves against their will, if that makes us angry, then do something about it. We took up a Christmas Eve offering. We were very generous, and we gave that money to a local group that that works with people who are human trafficked, and they rescued over 100 people. That's a good use of our anger. That's a that's a constructive way to deal with whatever that trigger is and, and to do something about it. And if if we figure out that our, our, our trigger is self righteous It's not a moral issue. It's not a right or wrong issue. It's just I'm being an immature human being kind of an issue. I didn't get my way. I'm not in control. I'm not in charge. My ego has been bruised. Then maybe our prayer to God is, Lord, this makes me mad. Help me grow up and be a mature human being and get over myself. I don't need to spend a lot of time and energy because I didn't get my way. I need to respond in a way that's better than how a five-year-old would respond to this, right? If we've been bitter and angry for years and years and years over something in the past, maybe it's time to say, you know what, that stinks and that was wrong and it was harmful and hurtful, but I got to grow up and, and I need to start living life to the full and I need to quit being mad about stuff all the time. God has better stuff in store for you and in store for me, right? Maybe God says you need to see counseling or anger management. Maybe not Jack Nicholson as your teacher, but uh, you know, maybe it's just prayer, right? And, and maybe it's joining a small group and have someone walk this process with you. Again, right, this is one of my personal demons that I struggle with. And this past week, I went uh, down to uh, Alamance County to a small place called Snow Camp. you probably never heard of that, but uh, my aunt died this past week, and um, she was buried, and we had a, a memorial service to celebrate her life. And uh, she was in her 80s, lived a great long life, and she was battling cancer. There, my dad is one of nine children, grew up on a uh, farm in Alamance County, and so this was his fifth sibling that has died. So it's been hard, and uh, you know, so the family comes together, and there are a ton of Thompsons with all this. You know, aunts and uncles and cousins and stuff. And it's this small Methodist church out in uh, in Alamance County. And it's packed out with my family and friends and all. And it's really a, just a true celebration of my Aunt Dot's life. And it was really cool. And so as part of that service, there was a chance for people to come up and just to say a testimony of, hey, how has Dot touched your life? And so there were some really neat and powerful things said. And my cousin Tony, who I've always looked up to uh, since I was a little kid, he's about six years older than me he came up and he talked about how our Aunt Dot meant a lot to him. And, and then he said, you know, I just I want you to look around and see how our family comes together and how we love each other. And you know, we're not perfect and you know, we get mad at each other sometimes, but when we meet each other, we're there and we, we love each other. And he says, now I contrast that with one of my former colleagues that I worked with who died the same week that my Aunt Dot died. And uh, he said, today is his funeral too. And of course I chose to come to, to our family funeral. And he says, you know, we're here together. and We love each other. We're all together. And he says, you know, my former colleague, he, he died by himself. His first marriage ended in divorce. His second wife died. He has grown adult children who he doesn't talk to. They're estranged because they got mad at each other years ago and don't even know why anymore. But they're so mad they don't talk to each other. So in the last year of his life, he had cancer, and he told no one about it. He fought the cancer by himself. He died alone. He died without his family because he was mad at his family. His family was mad at him. Right? And I look at that and I hear that story from my cousin Tony. I'm just, thank you, God, that I'm a part of this family, You know, the Thompson family that loves each other. And I think about this poor man and just you know, I just pray for his soul and, and for his remaining family. And I look at him and I think, you know what? If I'm not careful with my own anger, that could be me one day. And I don't want to be that guy. And I don't want you to be that guy or to be that lady who carries that anger that just enslaves us in our lives that's just not worth it. And so I'm asking you to join me in saying we're not going to live life like that. We're going to follow what Paul wrote in the New Testament in the book of Ephesians and and we're going to ask God to set us free of the anger that might be binding us up. Right? Because unresolved anger is destructive. It will ruin your life and the life of the people that you care about, those circles that you care about, right? Righteous anger can be so constructive when we do what Paul says, right? Let's look at it one more time in Ephesians, right? Ephesians chapter 4. Can you get? Yeah, we go. In your anger, do not sin. Do not let the sun go down while you are still angry. And do not give the devil a foothold, right? identify the trigger, don't pull it. Brothers and sisters, anger can be good. It can be helpful when we see things that are wrong, but it can be destructive, right? Paul gives us a way out. So when you deal with anger, look to Jesus and let him free you from the destruction that anger can build. In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, amen.